The Transportation Security Administration is proposing new cybersecurity regulations. They would apply to high-risk rail operators. It's part of a broader push by Homeland Security to improve cyber across the transportation sector. For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And Justin, let's begin with what are these new regulations and who's going to have to follow them? I thought all rail was risky. Right. Well, these are going to apply to some of the largest volume cargo carriers and uh, the trains that carry the most passengers through some of the nation's most populated metropolitan areas. Uh, that's according to TSA Administrator David Bukowski. And they're, they're going to come in the form of security directives. You may remember in the wake of the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack in May, TSA issued security directives for pipeline operators, designating some minimum cyber requirements that they would have to follow, not not on a voluntary basis, but on a mandatory basis. So now these security directives are coming to these large rail and railroad entities. TSA Administrator Prokoski spoke at the meeting of the Surface Transportation Security Advisory Committee hearing last week, and here's what he said about the imperative behind these new directives. These are really all critical elements. They're raising the baseline in the transportation sector, which is a critical infrastructure sector of the United States uh, against uh, cyber attacks. Because I think you know that we are at a, at a stage where we do need to make significant improvements in our overall cybersecurity. All right. So he's talking about freight rail. And when you say the trains that bring the most passengers through cities, he doesn't mean Amtrak necessarily, but also like Long Island Railroad and some of the big commuter systems. Exactly. Large commuter rail. He, th- there is no uh, specific set of entities yet that we know of that this will apply to. But in his words, it's the largest carriers of both passengers and freight. All right. And did anyone stand up and say, we oppose this? Right. Well, n- no one at the meeting did. And, and you know, it, as you know, there's been so much in the press about ransomware lately that there is more of an imperative for some of these requirements uh, coming from the administration. But th- there has been some pushback on those pipeline security directives that I mentioned earlier. Uh, congressional Republicans have actually called for the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General to look into how these requirements were put out there because they argue that TSA and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, who's involved in getting reports about attacks, they didn't adequately take into account industry uh, industry feedback when they were putting these requirements out there. So this time around, TSA Administrator David Pukoski, he really took care to say we did take into account industry feedback when developing these rail and, and rail transit directives. And he said that they've actually softened the incident reporting requirement that they were considering from 12 hours to 24 hours. And the deadline to complete an incident response plan for these these railroads and, and rail transit operators went from 60 days to six months. Um, so when these, these requirements come out, and we're expecting those in the coming weeks, they will be a little less uh, short-term than than originally was expected, and, and that's because TSA took into account industry feedback. They're also going to allow some flexibility in how they um, ac- will accept some requirements after after the deadline if, if it's not too important. They'll also allow some of these operators to 
actually propose alternative measures to what's laid out in the directives. So here's here's David Pitkowski talking a little bit about the importance of that flexibility. We've had really outstanding dialogue, I think, uh, with, the, with the pipeline sector already on, on the security directives that are issued on uh, what alternative measures we would consider that will achieve the same security outcome, but just might result in different activities being performed by the uh, entities that are subject to the security director. So I appreciate that flexibility, and, and we will certainly apply that flexibility as we continue to improve the overall cybersecurity of surface transportation. And that's TSA Administrator David Pekoski. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. What happens next? Is this a rulemaking they need to do, or are they just going to develop the requirements and go ahead and publish them? Well, we're expecting them to publish the security directives here in the coming weeks before the end of the year. And this is part of a broader sprint at DHS to elevate cybersecurity across the transportation sector. So David Bukowski didn't talk about this at the surface transportation meeting, of course, but they're actually going to put out requirements for airports and, and air operators uh, for cybersecurity requirements here, here in the coming months as well. And there's been this push really to improve cybersecurity across you know, all efforts, all sectors of transportation that DHS has authority over. And Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary, spoke about some of these these initial sure. efforts in October. And he said things like designating a point of contact for cybersecurity, reporting cyber incidents, and developing contingency plans represent, quote, the bare minimum of, of best practices for cybersecurity today. And basically, then, this transportation move is part of the overall Biden administration gambit to look at cybersecurity across all critical infrastructure sectors, fair to say? Right. They're, they're looking at where they can actually mandate some of these minimum requirements. National Cyber Director Chris Inglis has said at some point they have to decide what are, what are things that are so essential that it's just not discretionary anymore for companies to decide whether or not they're going to do them. And, and clearly with these TSA security directives uh, at DHS, they've, they've found that they have the authority to go out there and, and create these mandates. In other areas like uh, water, um, the administration is actually working with Congress to come up with language that would perhaps allow an agency like the EPA to mandate some level of minimum cyber requirements. So they're looking at what authorities they have to to do mandates, and then they're working with Congress to create additional uh, legislation that would require that would allow them to look at other critical infrastructure sectors where those authorities don't yet exist. All right. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions 
without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.